Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so good to see all of you here with us this morning. I'd like to welcome all of you that are here at our Bonnie Oaks campus and all of you that are joining us online. We are so glad that you're here. If you and I haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Clayton and I have the privilege of uh, serving here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. I lead our college ministry called the Via and I also serve uh, under our adult ministries pastor, Pastor David Thompson, on our small groups team. And I just can't uh, begin to tell you just how honored I am to be with you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd love to invite you to turn with me into Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three, uh, Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament, the first book of the Bible. So we're not flipping too many pages in this morning. And hopefully on your way in, you got one of these uh, worship guides and uh, it's an opportunity for you to follow along and take notes. Uh, It's no small thing that the God of the universe uh, speaks to us. And when he does, uh, we want to make sure that we pay attention and write down uh, what he says. Today is January 2nd, 2022. 2022. Uh, Not a whole lot of people thought we'd make it this far, you know, but uh, we're here. And so it being January 2nd, uh, many of us have just resolved to make little changes in our life, to improve ourselves in different ways. And I love New Year's resolutions. Some of you, you may say that New Year's resolutions are for chumps. Well, if that's so, you're looking at the chief chump right here because I love resolutions. Uh, My friend Sam says that I tend to go a little bit overboard with resolutions because I have somewhere usually in the neighborhood of like 14 to like 23 or 24. Um, He says that's overkill. I say that's just me being acutely aware of my need for self-improvement. Uh, And so uh, I love resolutions, but here's why I love resolutions, okay? I love resolutions because of what they represent. I love the idea of new starts. I can't stand when people say that people don't change or we can't change. I, we absolutely can change. And we have the ability to make some changes in our life. Uh, For example, like last year, 2021, I said, uh, one of my goals was that I wanted to run a mile in under six minutes and 30 seconds. I wanted to run a sub 630 mile. And for some of you, if you're like a professional runner in here, uh, you may think that that's like pretty slow. That's like a a slow pace. You might be able to take a nap uh, while you've still finished a 630 mile. For me, that was zooming, okay? Especially when you consider the first mile I ran last year was almost like 11 minutes. It was like 10 minutes and 40 something seconds, okay? But uh, so I, I set out this goal. Now, come December 31st, 2021, I did not run a mile in under six minutes and 30 seconds. And so you may say, well, Clayton, you just didn't hit your goal. You didn't do what you set out to do. But I did improve my mile time. I ran a mile in a fast, I think it was like seven minutes and 23 seconds. And so I got better. Yeah, how about that? 
And so I got better. And that's what I love about New Year's resolution. So I count that one as a win. Now, conversely, last year, I also set out the goal to, uh, I wanted to learn the bass guitar. I wanted to learn the bass guitar. I wanted to do something that made me feel uncomfortable. Uh, I have no musical bone in my body. Um, In fact, just a few months ago, several months ago, on a Sunday morning, my wife Sophie and I, we were in a worship service. We were singing uh, songs during the first worship set and we were singing the song, uh, The Goodness of God. And it's a song that many of you are familiar with, right? All my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. It's a great song. We love it. So that morning, here we are. Sophie and I, we're worshiping. I'm singing. I'm really feeling it. Like I'm, I'm feeling like it's, you know, it's good in here. And so uh, here comes the chorus for the song. And I let out like a, all my life, you have been f- so, so faithful. Like really, really let it out. Uh, the problem was, is I was too early. So it was just me in the room singing. And so Sophie just like keels over laughing uh, at me because I was so early and so off key. Uh, and she never recovered. She sat laughing for the rest of the song. And uh, our worship offering that morning was, you know, just really good for the Lord. Uh, anybody else ever do that? Anybody come in early on a song? Yeah, go, go, we'll start a choir. It's going to be great. Uh, so we're super excited. But I love New Year's resolutions. I love what they represent. And so for many of you, you may have just resolved to um, eat better or to uh, work out more. And um, I'm in on all of those things. You may want to uh, learn a new hobby or to learn a new language, or you want to read a a book a month. And I'm in, I say, do it. And for many of us, for those goals, we set smaller goals in order for us to hit the goal that we want to hit, right? I don't go down the Little Debbie aisle at the grocery store to hit my weight goal that I want to do. I set more stringent screen time parameters on my phone in order to be more present with my family or with my kids or something like that. And so for many of us, hopefully almost all of us, we set out a goal in this room this this year to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We want to grow in our relationship with the Lord somehow, some way we want to do these things. And so we're setting these goals to be a little bit better at what we want to do. You see, the thing is, is that we we set these goals, a lot of the times they have to do with our eyes. They have to do with what we're paying attention to because our eyes are just so important, right? If I pay attention, if I look at the dessert menu, all of a sudden the waiter is bringing the chocolate cake. Take this story, for example. Uh, In 1960, presidential candidates uh, John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon were set to square off in the first televised presidential debate. Debates, of course, by that point were only held on the radio. And so with the invention of the television and its kind of popularity rise in the homes of America, Kennedy and Nixon are set to square off in the very first televised debate. Well, before the day of the debate comes, Kennedy's campaign manager flies out to CBS headquarters and he spends a couple of days talking with uh, producers and executives about stage coaching, makeup, lighting, all the things that have to do with TV. Nixon, on the other hand, doesn't really take too much of the new medium. And so he actually schedules campaign stops on the same day of the debate. Well, the day comes, the lights turn on, TVs crackle, the volumes turned up. And what America sees is a makeup wearing stagecoached Kennedy and a pale, tired looking Nixon. You see, political scholars will say that if you just listened to the debate on the radio, Nixon was the clear winner. You would think that Nixon won, he did a better job. But if you watch the debate, it changed things. You thought Kennedy did a better job. Our eyes are powerful. 
And far more than just deciding which candidate did a better job in a debate, our eyes can set the course for our lives and ultimately our heart. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to ask a question to help frame our pursuit as we seek to follow Jesus this year. And the title, the question that I'm going to ask is the title of today's message. It's where are you looking? Where are you looking? And so just like we've seen with Nixon and with Kennedy, how our eyes can affect things, even just in the physical, we're going to look at a a really familiar story to see almost the inverse of that and how that can affect our spiritual lives. And so in Genesis chapter three, that's where we're going to be today. God has created the world. God has spoken and out of nothing, something. He creates light. He creates the world and everything in it. He creates man and woman in the Garden of Eden. And he sends them out to establish his kingdom on earth. And they can do this as long as they do not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Seems pretty simple, right? Literal paradise, walking with God himself in the garden, just don't eat that one tree. But what happens? Let's read together in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read all the way from verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent, that's Satan was more crafty than any of other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was the delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. He's complicit from the beginning. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Thanks be to God for the power of his word. There are three things today that I want us to see from this text. Again, under the banner of this question that I want to ask us, where are we looking as we move into the new year? The first point, if you have your notes, is that uh, sin is more than action. Sin is more than action. Remember that question. Remember, we're asking ourselves, where are they looking? You see, for most of us, I think that when we think of Adam and Eve, we were taught that peril befalls them because they disobey and they did disobey and that is part of the reason why they get kicked out of the garden but disobedience the action itself cannot be the source of their sin look at what happens Satan comes to the woman and says did God really say did God really say it's the question that he asked Eve and it's the question that he asked you and me did God really say you see Satan's primary trick is to try to undermine the trustworthiness of God and his word. Did God really say, did God really say that you're a follower of Jesus? You. Did God really say that you can't have sex before marriage? Did God really say you can't love who you want to love? 
Did God really say that you shouldn't want to acquire all the things that you can? Did God really say? He's saying to Eve, Satan, and he's saying to all of us that God is keeping something from us. That if I obey God, I'm missing out on something. And that something is what gets us into all the trouble. That something becomes the root of the evil in our life. You see, because Eve didn't just sin when she touched the fruit. Eve didn't just sin when she ate the fruit. There's something deeper than that. Kissing is good. Amen. But it is not love. There's something deeper than that. And just like love is deeper than kissing, here there's something deeper than Eve just taking the fruit. You see, because if Eve just sins when she takes the fruit, then that means by the time we get to the New Testament, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, how come they're not the most righteous men in all of the New Testament? You see, what do the Pharisees do? They do everything right. They touch the right stuff at the right time. They don't touch the wrong stuff at the wrong time. They tell other people when to touch and what to touch. They tell other people what laws to follow. But what does John the Baptist call them in the New Testament? A brood of vipers. I want you to underline verse six in your Bibles. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Watch what happens in the human heart that gives rise to the action. Delicious, delightful, desired, denied. I want that fruit and I can't have it. I want that fruit, but God won't let me have it. It's good and it's satisfying and he won't let me have it. You see, Eve begins to sin the second that she wants that fruit more than she wants God. Because the root of our sin is not just what we do, but it's what we desire. Why do I disobey my parents? Because I wanna live my life my way. I don't wanna submit to anybody else's rule. Why do I lie? I wanna protect my sense of ego, my my fragile ego, my sense of self-worth. Adam and Eve, the nation of Israel, you and me, we sin not just because we do the wrong things, but because we want something more than God. I want a girlfriend more than I want God. I want money or the security that money affords me more than I want God. I want kids more than I want God. And what do all those things have in common? I want to live my life my way. I don't want to submit to God. I want to be God. And so what happens, we take our eyes off of God and we find something that looks good to us. You see, if you're a church person, if you've grown up in church and I disconnect from this and I say something like, God only cares about the heart, A lot of us are tracking with that, right? That's something that we're familiar with. But we can still often think that our righteousness, that is whether or not we're a good or a bad person, our moral standing and our sin are tied to what we do or what we do not do. And if we do something that we're not supposed to do, well, let's just do some of the things we are supposed to do when it kind of balances out the beam a little bit. All the while, Jesus is looking at us saying, you're missing the point. Look at how Jesus says it himself in Matthew chapter five, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's that mean? That means the man or the woman who has the affair doesn't just sin when they commit adultery physically. They've been sinning long before that. They've been saying, I wanna live my life my way. Their eyes wondered. 
Look at it again in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. The Pharisees, those same religious guys, they come to Jesus and they're going to question him and they're going to say, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest command? What's the best law? And look at Jesus' answer. He says, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Notice it does not say, do for the Lord your God your best and your hardest. Eve is not loving God with everything within her when she sins. She's looking at the fruit, and in looking at the fruit, she's really looking at herself. She wants to be God. She's loving herself. This is what Adam and Eve did. This is what you and I do. They did not desire Jesus. We do not desire Jesus, and we desire something else. It always leads us to look leads us to us looking at something and doing something that we shouldn't. But first, our eyes have been taken off of God. What does it say again in Genesis chapter three? When Eve saw. So what's my question? Where are you looking? Sin is more than action. That's point number one. There's lots of penalties for sin, but this text shows us one of the penalties for sin. Point number two is that sin makes us hide. Sin makes us hide. Look at it in verse Number eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is the summary of human existence since the fall. We don't just try and hide our sin. Sin makes us hide ourselves. I can remember uh, when I was little, about six or seven years old, uh, the house we lived in at the time, uh, all my siblings and my parents and I, uh, when I was little, I, uh, my parents told me that I couldn't watch the cartoon Spongebob. I couldn't watch the cartoon Spongebob. If you let your kids watch Spongebob, that's fine. Uh, you can take it up with my parents, I guess. Uh, but I couldn't watch Spongebob. And so uh, when I was little, at the house that we lived in at the time, all of our living space was on one floor. Uh, except there was one spare uh, kind of bonus room upstairs. It had its own doorway and stairwell. And at uh, the time, it was my sister's bedroom. And so in this little particular season of my life, uh, it was uh, cleaning day, chore day, right? Come Saturday. And so all of us, we have our chores, we have our assignments. And uh, every now and then, I would, uh, little Clayton would volunteer. You know what? I'll go up to my sister's room. I'll get her sheets off the bed. I tidy up a couple of things like, you know, really servant-hearted uh, Clayton here. Um, because what I would do is I'd go up to my sister's bedroom and there in the bedroom, there was her bed and on the corner of the bed, there was a little desk and on the corner of the desk, there was a little TV. And so I'd pull up right here and I'd click on SpongeBob and I'd pull one of these numbers real here, like real low, you know, just turn the volume real low. That way, in case anyone ever came up the stairs and spoiler alert, they always came up the stairs because it doesn't take half an hour to take sheets off a of bed, right? But they would come up the stairs and I'd jump up and I'd rip the sheets off and I'd act like I was cleaning something because uh, I didn't want to get caught. What is that? That's sin. That is sin. I was hiding myself. I was six. No one ever taught me to do that. I did that on my own. That's sin making us hide. Has anybody ever caught their kids doing something like that where they bust in the room and they like, scurry really quickly because they, you know, of getting caught something. That's sin. We hide from each other. We hide from friends. We hide because we're ashamed. We're afraid of what people will say or think about us. We try to hide from God because we know that we can't pretend with him. Have you ever felt like that? 
Have you ever felt like, man, if somebody knew what was really going on, man, if somebody ever found this out, I don't know what would happen. I know I have. Maybe you're hiding that addiction or that behavior, those text messages. You're hiding some aspect of who you are. You see, social media has exacerbated this maybe more than any other time in human history, I would argue. Sherry Turkle is a famous uh, MIT professor. She wrote a big uh, book on social media. And she says it this way. She says, uh, a virtual life is shiny and bright. It's where you post your prettiest pictures and tell all your best news. On social networking sites such as Facebook, we think we will be presenting ourselves, but our profile ends up as somebody else, often the fantasy of who we want to be. You see, this is such a problem that we actually invented a word for this. Catfishing. Have you heard about this? Catfish? It's such a phenomenon. There's a TV show about it. It's called Catfish. It's particularly in the online dating community. Uh, If you make a profile and you use somebody else's photos or information to trick somebody, you're catfishing somebody or you have been catfished because somebody did this. And so this show is really weird. Like, please don't watch it. It's very uncomfortable. And so they like get this person and they started this online dating profile and they met this, you know, match with this person who has like these model good looks and they talk until the wee hours of the morning, but they're just, you know, very dodgy of any meetup. And so this show orchestrates these meetups and like traps, catches these people in the act of catfishing. And it's very weird and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. But you see, this is not a symptom of online dating. This is a symptom of the fall of man. And so we hide. But again, not a new phenomenon, just a new avenue. We see in Genesis chapter 3 that this is what's been happening all of human history. This is why here at Silverdale, we believe in community so much. Can you still hide in a small group? For sure. But it gets harder the more and more you go. This is a picture of my small group. And this, uh, my small group is the best. I love my small group. Uh, shout out. Uh, we uh, are the best. We, if there was Academy Awards for best, you know, for the small groups, we're taking home the coveted best group at the end of the night, okay? Sorry to all of you, uh, the rest that are small group leaders. But I love our small group. My wife and I lead it. And each week we meet and we discuss pastor sermons. We pray, we party, we cry, we laugh. We do all of these things together. And every week when we meet together, we start off by saying that we do small group in spite of life circumstances. We do small group in spite of life circumstances. Why do we say that? Because we know how busy the week gets. We know how hard it is to fit stuff in. We know how much your schedule fills up. But why do we do small group in spite of our life circumstances? Because we experience God best in community. We experience God best in community. You see, our job is to follow Jesus together. Satan always uses isolation. God always uses community. When we're together, we experience him best in our life. Sin doesn't begin with an action. Sin makes us hide. Okay, Clayton, you're asking this question, where are we looking? And I think I'm tracking with you. You see, When I take my eyes off of God, when I'm wanting something more than God, I'm rejecting God. You see, but Clayton, maybe you're saying, I I, I know where I'm looking. I'm looking at that boyfriend to complete me. I've been looking at this job to fulfill me. I'm watching my kids disappoint me. I've already done what Adam and Eve did. Now what? 
Now the beauty, my friends. See, third point today is that God seeks. God seeks. Look at it in verse number nine. Underline this in your Bible. But the Lord God called to the man. Adam and Eve have hidden. Adam and Eve screwed up. Adam and Eve did what they weren't supposed to. Adam and Eve cursed man forever. But it's God that comes to them. They don't go running to God. God comes running after them. Aren't you glad that God came running after you in your life? And the, uh, one of my favorite books is the um, American literary classic, The Great Gatsby. And I love The Great Gatsby. It is really one of my favorite books. And in the book, uh, the narrator is Nick Carraway. And he moves into this new neighborhood, this fancy neighborhood. Uh, and his neighbor is Jay Gatsby. And Gatsby lives in this big fancy mansion. And he throws all these lavish parties. And he wears the finest clothes. And he drives the coolest cars. And as Nick begins to befriend Gatsby, we find out that Gatsby used to be in love with a woman named Daisy. And then Gatsby got shipped off to war. And Daisy married another man by the time that Gatsby gets back. And so when Gatsby gets back and finds out what the state of his girlfriend is, he sets about to make a man of himself. And he goes out and he makes all this money. And he becomes this wealthy, wealthy businessman. And he moves into the posh neighborhood. And he buys the lavish mansion. And he throws the fancy parties. And he does all of this because he's running after Daisy so that he can have a relationship with her again. Can I tell you that God does a whole lot more than buy a big fancy mansion and throw lavish parties to come seeking after you and me. You see, there are all kinds of ways that people try to boil down the Bible in one sentence. It's a futile exercise, but I think it can be kind of fun. If I had an entry, it would be this, that man hides, but God seeks. You and I hide, but it is God, the Lord of hosts, who comes to seek after you and me. You see, because the Bible is about one story. It is one story about one character. And just like any good book, there's lots of supplemental characters and many story arcs. You see, because when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is called the second Adam. Adam and Eve are sent out to establish God's kingdom on earth, but they fail. The Old Testament is full of people sent out to establish God's kingdom on earth, but they fail. And when we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus not sent from his home or from a different country, but from heaven, sent to establish God's kingdom. Born that man no more may die, as we just sung at Christmas time. And so if you're familiar with the story, he comes, he lives sinless, does three years of supernatural ministry, all the while proclaiming that he's the savior, he's the redeemer. He's not come to erase man's history, he has come to redeem man's history. And on the night before he's going to die on the cross for you and I's sins, he finds himself in a garden. I'm going to say that again. The night before that Jesus goes to die on the cross, he finds himself in a garden. This time it's the garden of Gethsemane. You see, in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve struggled about obeying about a tree. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus struggled with obeying about a tree called a cross. Adam and Eve were in a sinless, painless, bright, glorious garden. Their promise was, if you obey, you'll live. Jesus was in a dark, ominous garden. His promise was, if you obey, you're going to die, but they're going to live. And Jesus climbed the death tree for him, and it became a tree of life 
for us. Look how Jesus puts it in his own words in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus tells us, for the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. You and me, my friend, we are lost, but because of the glorious riches found in Christ Jesus, we have now been saved. We don't just sin, friends, because we do the wrong things. We sin because we want the wrong things. We want the wrong things when we look at the wrong things. So my question, where are you looking? Are you looking to your bank account for significance? Are you looking to your kids to save you? Are you looking at your relationship as your identity? I'm here to tell you, to encourage you this morning, look at Jesus. You might say, how do I do that? It's not just enough to stop looking at something. You've got to start looking at Jesus. Look at his words, the Bible. It's a new year. You can commit to a brand new reading plan. Look at his bride, the church. There's tons of opportunities to jump in small groups and to serve somewhere. Watch things that make you love Jesus more. Listen to music that praises Jesus. At lunch this week, talk to your coworkers about what Jesus is teaching you. When you pick up your kids from kids ministry, ask them what Jesus is teaching them. Look at Jesus. Jesus wants your attention, but much more importantly, he wants our heart. Where are you looking? Because sin is more than action. Sin always makes us hide. But thanks be to Jesus because it is God who comes to seek. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? We're overwhelmed, Father, by your goodness and your grace and your mercy in our life. We repent, Lord, for our eyes falling off of you onto something else that we think is going to satisfy or fulfill. Jesus, this morning, would you speak to us Would you convict us so that we might repent and fix our eyes on you, as the writer of Hebrews says. God, we want you more than anything else. So Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning so that we might respond in obedience. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.